You are listening to Culture Machine Live, a podcast series dedicated to discussions of culture and theory. To find out more about the open access electronic journal Culture Machine, visit www.culturemachine.net. I'm speaking here today with Alan Liu, Chair and Professor in the English Department at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, and I will ask him some questions on his work and his opinions on topics relating to, amongst others, digital humanities, online reading, the future of the university, the role of sharing and openness, and changing research practices. So, Alan, if you look back at your career as a researcher, um, in what way have you seen your research practice over the years change, or not, maybe, in your interaction with new media and digital tools? Um, and in what way do you think your own development in this respect is exemplary for changing research practice within the humanities as a whole? I've been engaged in um, digital uh, work since about 1993 or 94, and I think that the... Um, curve has been toward um, using new technologies in a uh, broader expanse of my work. So at the moment, for example, I'm getting close to going totally paperless, uh, especially with the iPad reader. And that's not a uh, trivial matter. Um, going paperless means essentially that um, you know the entire circuit of scholarly activity, from searching to finding text to reading text to annotating them to uh, assembling text to writing to publishing to the production work on books, is going online. And uh, that's a quantum change with the entire circuit moves online. The one piece of the puzzle that's still missing is uh, the presentation. I still depend on paper for that. Yeah, yeah because um, my eyes are getting old and uh, not enough text fits on the screen of an iPad at the same time. (laughs) I think the other major change is that uh, over the years I've gotten uh, deeper technically into the new uh, platforms and tools. Um, And I tell my students that, uh, as in my own case, it's really important to know enough about the underlying technologies to be able to think about them in ways that apply to broader issues in the humanities and in society. So in my own case, thinking about the database as a technical platform led to a broad set of um, you know, hypotheses about how uh, the logic of society as a whole works. And it's that integration between the tool set and the larger issues of the humanities, I think, that um, has uh, deepened in my, in my work. Yeah. And do you see this development happening around you, too? common thing in humanities or is it really specific thing for more information oriented or digital humanities? It's more common for people working in the digital humanities and new media fields. Uh, many of my colleagues uh, do not yet have a technology to uh, go paperless for, for example. Okay. And that will take some time. Yeah. Okay. Um, second question. In your scholarly research you combine more traditional methods of literary and textual criticism with digital technologies and new media tools. Um, this in-between position is something you also explore in online initiatives, such as, for instance, the For Humanities platform you are involved in. Um, my first question is whether you can tell something about this initiative, and secondly, as also becomes clear from your recent talk, uh, Where is Cultural Criticism in the Digital Humanities? You seem to take in this position of kind of bridge builder, so kind of exploring ways to bring the humanities to a new digital future without losing its critical position. And could you explain why it's so important for you to develop a critical position on and within the humanities, uh, the digital humanities? And shouldn't we, an adaptation of what you call these kind of 
alien paradigms of knowledge, adapt our established way of doing criticism too, and thus conduct critical humanities analysis in a new way? That's a very good question, uh, with many parts to it, and I'll try to answer that as efficiently as I, as I can. The Four Humanities Initiative uh, was started in November of uh, 2010 by myself and a few other people um, around the world, Jeffrey Rockwell um, among them, and Melissa Terrace in the UK, and, and several others. It's uh, designed to allow the international humanities community to help the broader humanities uh, community now make its case to the public, um, both in individual nations and worldwide, especially now that in the U.S. and the U.K. in particular, the uh, budget cuts have gotten to the point where um, the humanities uh, programs in higher education are at risk of uh, serious de degradation, and that applies in different degrees elsewhere in, in the world. Yeah. Now that uh, site um, and its thesis bears on the larger set of issues that, that you raised. You know, I've never been totally a, a digital humanist or new media person. I've always uh, been, um, in my own work, a cultural critic at, at large. So um, right now, as I said at that talk at the MLA about uh, where is cultural criticism in the digital humanities, my own critique of the digital humanities is that um, it's been too focused technically uh, within a narrow range of concerns having to do with text, uh, documents, um, electronic libraries, repositories, text encoding, text analysis, and so on. All of those uh, tool sets and uh, protocols have larger social and cultural implications um, at a minimum they raise questions about uh, the relationship between uh, work in the humanities and work in the marketplace and in corporations today, which depend on many of the same sets of tools or, or logics. Um, I think generally that the digital humanities have to be more engaged with a larger set of issues that the humanities as a whole are engaged in, especially at this crisis time. And it's not that the digital humanities need to follow the lead of you know, uh, the theoretical humanities or the cultural critical humanities. It's more that uh, they can contribute something fresh and unique now at the moment of trouble for the humanities mm -hmm. by pointing the humanities toward um, technical and other ways of engaging with society at, at large. And that's, that's a mission that I want to undertake with okay. the Four Humanities site. Yeah. And what about the kind of tools uh, in digital humanities being developed? Uh, could they be of any use for this kind of critical development of the humanities as a whole? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think the uh, um, important issue here is what we mean by critique or the, or the critical. Um, I'm not, I don't have much patience with the uh, standard uh, you know, position that um, critique in the relationship between the humanities and society runs one way, that is that uh, we humanist critique yeah. society. Um, for me, engagement really means um, a two-way engagement of uh, critique, uh, where in order to be able to criticize society effectively, the humanities need to be able to accept criticism from society about the way it's doing things. Um, there are lots of um, practices and uh, protocols and um, institutional formations in the humanities and in general education that um, are pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Um, similarly with the uh, you know, corporate or the private marketplace, it's just that the uh, two kinds of uh, stupidities do not coincide. Each are smart in different ways, and I think that um, you know, the educational system of humanities have much to learn from the broader world and its institutions. Uh, the digital humanities are a kind of a bridgeway between the two worlds, um, conducting practices in both directions. Okay, thank you.
So in your book, The Laws of Cool, Knowledge Work and the Culture of Information, you introduce and adopt concepts like technological and informational cool and destructive creativities as strategies for knowledge workers. So can you expand on what these concepts mean and why they are important? Okay. I focus on the idea of cool, um, you know, for our young people and for uh, all of us in the, you know, tech, in the um, technical uh, industries and in the, the new media fields today. Uh, just about everything is cool that we like. The um, uh, best way to explain that um, is, I think, to borrow from um, Raymond Williams' um, idea of the residual and the emergent, um, flanking the dominant in one time in culture. Cool is a, a strange amalgam or uh, assemblage of the residual forces in society and the emergent forces. In fact, uh, they're how uh, residual traditions, understandings of the human um, are, are taking place today in technological society. They take the uh, camouflage form of emergent uh, technologies. So when someone says that um, they, are, they are cool or a technology is cool, it's a way of saying that um, we understand how these technologies work, they fit the logic of the marketplace and the production today, but uh, there's something held in reserve uh, that uh, we understand tacitly as human beings that cannot be fully expressed in the uh, transparent logics and explicit programming sets of these technologies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a truism that when you ask someone, uh, what is the cool, they'll tell you that if you have to ask, you know, you're not uh, cool. That's, that's the kind of reserve I, I mean, that uh, uh, cool is a kind of a attitude toward technological society which uh, at once admits that we are fully of it, but uh, asserts that uh, we stand apart from it as traditional human beings. In your work, as you describe them, these kind of subversive tactics still seem to operate from within an institutional framework, um, and they don't necessarily seem to undermine these knowledge institutions. Um, do you feel that institutions and universities are important, and if so, why? And also, with the continuing budget cuts for humanities research, uh, which you uh, talked about before, uh, combined with towering high fees for students and increasing lack of career possibilities for humanities PhD within academia. Do you think we have reached an area in which being cool and practicing this kind of creative destruction might actually mean leaving our established institutions behind and focusing on alternative sites of knowledge production? So is there a place for humanities yeah. outside or in between these established institutions? Uh, I think the answer to that is that I am very firmly an organization man, as they, as they called it, and uh, have a firm belief in institutions. Uh, it is not viable, I think, for most people to leave the institution, uh, whether it be higher education or some other institution, because you'll just find yourself captured by another institution. Um, I believe that uh, higher education institutions are important. They are not more important than other institutions. What's most important is that uh, society have a rich and diverse ecology of uh, institutional forms, each of which counterbalances or checks the excesses of the others. So if we did not have higher education, uh, we would see a society that is at risk of becoming a um, monocultural set of institutions, all oriented around the corporate corporations. Yeah. So you see today that uh, 
uh, other major uh, social organizations, government, for example, um, uh, the health industry, and so on, are increasingly gravitating toward uh, corporate practices and, and ideals. Even higher education is gravitating in that direction. Yeah. Uh, I just find it important, I think, to um, guard against uh, too close an approximation between the uh, institutional forms so that each preserves some measure of difference, because they have different roles in, in society. Okay. So, as you argue in your paper, the end of the end of the book, uh, that book's lively margins in social computing, uh, the digital today makes books go away. Uh, and not only books, but also what you call bookishness. Um, the culture or cult surrounding the book. Uh, reading will become social and uh, research will be collaborative. How do you perceive this vision concerning the future of research and of the book alongside evidence that seems to speak against such a future or which seems to inhibit it? Um, first of all, consider the increased reading of long-form narrative on digital devices, like you said yourself, mm -hmm. you've been using the iPad. Um, secondly, look at the perception among humanities scholars that the monograph is still the most important format in the humanities. And thirdly, what about the university reward and tenure system, which is still structured around the cult of the book? How persistent will these structures be when it comes to the future you outline mm -hmm. in this paper? This actually touches on the uh, topic of my talk at the Unbound Book Conference at Amsterdam um, this year, uh, today as a matter of fact, as uh, we're, we're talking here with the um, uh, place clattering around us in the, in the cafe. Um, I think the long form, as vested in the traditional book and or monograph, is in trouble. Um, it's uh, increasingly hard to publish uh, monographs uh, in the scholarly world. Uh, it's increasingly difficult to get people to pay attention to them. So I've been developing a set of theses about the long form um, and uh, how it might be unbound from the traditional book or at least um, find alternative forms that complement the traditional uh, book. Um, very briefly, the thesis goes something like this, that uh, if you think about it historically, the long form of the book never has been quite uh, long in the way that we like to think. Uh, the more important the book, the more it's read in interrupted fashion um, as something you moved through uh, in a nonlinear uh, kind of way. Um, so there are a set of uh, historical, uh, you know, um, uh, skepticisms about the nature of the, of the book as a, as a long form. I think that moving forward, we're going to increasingly need to find uh, ways of discovering stable, long forms in mixed print and digital cultures that have a um, set of shared features. Uh, they are not long, perhaps, in individual screen or page size, so much as they are in a, establishing a stable circuit of social relations and reading uh, partners so that you see an entire cluster of uh, conversations maintaining a shape and uh, value over time. Um, after all, if you think back to someone like Walter Benjamin, uh, you know, he never wrote a book per se that had that kind of a long form uh, format and value. But his individual essays, or even something like the theses on history, which are, you know, short aphorisms, established that kind of long-lasting social impact and became the center of whole circuits of uh, reflective activity that in their sum collectively amount to something like a long form. And it's, it's 
it's that direction toward a socially stable uh, cluster of uh, long-form activities that I think we're heading for, uh, for in the future. And do you think that institutional structures as they are set up now, could they be inhibited or do you see them changing then following this kind of direction? Yeah, my fellow humanists will hate me when I say this, but uh, I think that uh, tenure as uh, bound to the monograph form is going to have to change simply because there aren't enough academic uh, presses left to print the uh, work of all the scholars coming up through the system. I think we're headed toward a future of bibliometric uh, promotion-based practices. And it's my hope that we can come up with some smarter and uh, more valuable tools of bibliometric citation tracking. After all, the young scholar today, especially one who uh, is in a digital humanities or new media field, can only benefit from a bibliometric system of promotion. Um, and he or she may publish only one book in their life, but uh, they could have a lot of impact in their Twitter feeds, their uh, blogs, uh, their conversations online. We can measure that will have a better profile, I think, of what someone's actual impact is in, in the field, um, you know, freed from the strictures of the monograph form. You are listening to Culture Machine Live, a podcast series dedicated to discussions of culture and theory. To find out more about the open access electronic journal Culture Machine, visit www.culturemachine.net.